Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Trent Northen. He's a, a senior scientist at uh, Berkeley Lab in chemistry. He's part of uh, what's called the EGSB division, which the acronym I don't know, but uh, we'll get into that. We're going to talk about uh, microbial communities. So, Trent, thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, could you fill out your background just a little bit? Tell me a little bit, a little bit more about uh, yourself and your work. Yeah, um, my laboratory really studies the chemistry of microbiomes. And we're particularly interested in how uh, exogenous metabolites, the metabolites in the environment, structure the microbial communities, and in turn, how those microbes change the metabolite pool. So it's kind of this dynamic reciprocity between what's out in the environment and the communities that are acting upon them. Where, where are you studying the microbial communities? In, in our guts or um, in soil and water? Where are they? Yeah, so this, this work is primarily um, funded by the Department of Energy, and so it's focused on studying environmental microbes, uh, mostly in soils, uh, but also in plant roots uh, or living on plant roots. So we, we also, you know, we have these key uh, plant-microbe interactions that are very analogous to what you find in the gut micro- microbiome. You know, what happens uh, in the soil, you know, with plant roots, I, I guess a, a person that, that doesn't know about this would just think, oh, okay, there's, uh, you know, the roots take water from the soil and, you know, minerals, the roots will find minerals and absorb them, et cetera. But, you know, what else is going on? How do the microbes interact with the root system? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I think, I think again, it is very analogous to the, the gut microbiome, you know, where, where we've been learning to seemingly every week, there's another study telling us how important the gut microbiome is to human health and development, uh, et cetera. Um, same thing with plants. Um, you know, plants have evolved in the context of, of microbes. You know, microbes were living in the, the soil before plants, you know, colonized land. And so it makes sense that um, they have evolved to take advantage of the microbes to perform a lot of work for them. Um, and so it's, it's this sort of uh, beautiful relationship where the plants are fixing carbon from the atmosphere and then they feed uh, microbes that live in and around their roots who go out and perform important functions for those plants. And those, you know, like there's a wide range of functions that they can perform, such as, you know, fixing nitrogen for the plants, um, scavenging minerals for the plants, um, transporting phosphorus, uh, excluding pathogens. Uh, Microbes can even make hormones to help uh, affect the, the plant's phenotype to, to make it better adapted to drought or uh, being able to reach water, et cetera. Uh, you know, I think we're just, in, just sort of scratching the surface on all the things that microbes do for their plant hosts. How far away from the root system do you think the microbes act over what distances? So my work has mostly been focused on bacteria and, and they live, you know, very close in, in sort of intimate contact with the roots and probably you don't have super long range uh, interactions. 
However, there are also fungi in the soil that are also really key players interacting with the plants and they can interact, interact over very large distances. Um, one of the systems that I studied before, um, and I still am very interested in, but before I got into plants, are these systems called biological soil crusts. And so these are um, dominated by filamentous cyanobacteria uh, that you find out in the deserts. I know you may, you may have uh, been to places like Arches National Park where you see signs that say, don't bust the crust. Well, these are the biological soil crusts um, they, they're probably what the Earth's surface looked like before plants uh, colonized land. And there's been some really fascinating studies there where they've looked at the distance that um, the biocrusts can interact with the, the plants through uh, fungal hyphae. And using stable isotopes, they uh, will go put a little isotopic tracer out on the biocrust uh, several feet away from a plant, and then they detect it in the plant. And they'll put a tracer in the plant and they'll uh, go out and sample the biocrust and they find uh, the, that tracer in the biocrust. So there are definitely longer range interactions that are happening. And I think that's an exciting area of research. Is a, I know it's not your area, but is a biocrust like a biofilm? Is it, yeah, a, it like a paste with, you know, some liquid that makes the, uh, you know, the soil adhere. And then it's essentially like a biofilm that uses the soil as a substrate. That's exactly what it is. It's, um, you know, it, it's really interesting process. So you have, um, it's like, just imagine a sand dune or something like that, uh, sand, sandy soil and uh, filamentous cyanobacteria, um, maybe they blow in on a piece of dust, they can start colonizing that sand and they produce these ex, uh, extracellular polysaccharides that act like a glue to bind the sand grains together and uh, the, the cyanobacteria, they make these little sheaths that are, uh, can be millimeters long, uh, covered with these polysaccharides. And they act kind of like uh, rope uh, going and, and attaching to the sand grains. And after uh, a period of, you know, it depends on the environment, but it could be a few years, you form these thick crusts of cyanobacteria that are all uh, held together by the, the these ex, uh, extracellular uh, polysaccharides and the filaments from the cyanobacteria. And they're colonized by all kinds of other organisms. And um, these are really important systems uh, in these arid lands because they hold the, the soil together and keep it from blowing away. Um, and they also, also can fix a lot of carbon. So it's a good uh, way to um, take damaged lands and bring them back into um, you know, sort of a stable form uh, where you can also capture some carbon. And, and there's been a lot of great work done in China harnessing these technologies uh, or harnessing these microbes to restore damaged soils. And I think that's just an incredibly exciting area and important area as we think about climate change and, and desertification and how can we take, um, you know, these, these really inhospitable environments and then bring them back into uh, ideally uh, lands that you could uh, use productively. So what's your focus? Are you focusing literally on, I guess, the microbes, if you imagine them as a, a very thin film around roots, maybe like a, a couple of microns thick or like how, how close do they stick to the roots of a plant? Yeah. So um, we, you know, we first actually started studying these biocrusts and we studied cyanobacteria and that formed the biocrusts and we studied the microbes that were actually physically bound to the, to the cyanos. 
and we studied how the metabolites that the cyanos are producing um, select for the microbes that live on them. And so then more recently, we've extended this same approach to studying microbes on roots. And here we're really studying the ones that are actually attached uh, to the roots, um, including the soil that's attached to the roots. So that's what we're calling the rhizosphere. So you can imagine it if you had a, a plant growing in a, a field or in a pot, and you were to lift up the plant and kind of shake it a little bit, everything that's still stuck to the roots would be uh, the, what we would be calling the rhizosphere, and those would be the microbes that we're studying. So, okay, um, I was imagining a root growing through the soil. Is there, a, is there an area that, you know, where the very tip of the root is, where it grows, that's different from the rest of the root? And, you know, what do the bacteria look like that ride along with, you know, the root tip growing through new soil? You think oh, that's a guiding that happens from the root or the bacteria, et cetera? Yeah, that's a great question. Super cool. Because you, you imagine, the, you know, a root is so huge compared to the size of a bacterium. And the roots, when they're growing through the soils, are actually moving really fast compared to the rate that a bacteria can move. And so, you know, how do the roots, how, how are microbes able to essentially jump onto this uh train that is going really fast through the soil. And there's been some uh, simulation work and modeling work to try to figure out how this works. And so one theory is that uh, a lot of the colonization is coming from the, the root tip, that the microbes are basically, the root tip gets colonized and there's some different cells that live up there on the roots. And um, when we've studied where the uh, metabolites are coming out of the roots, uh, most of it is coming from right at the tip of the roots. So that would make sense that that's maybe where the microbes are really concentrated. And we've done some studies and, and you know, the microbes are actually tend to be enriched at the, the roots, at the root tips. And so then the microbes, as the roots moving through the soil um, from that root tip can be kind of flowing down over the root surface. Um, but it's also very likely that microbes that are in the soil directly as the root ages can, can also colonize the, the root system. So it's a really dynamic environment. You know, you imagine you've got soils, which um, many people consider the most complex biological system on earth because it's got minerals and three-dimensional structure, and you've got all kinds of diverse organisms living there. And then you've got these roots that are moving through the soil and they're developing and, um, you know, the plants going through a light dark system and how does that change which metabolites are going into the soil? You know, it's a really uh, complex system to study, but also really, really important um, because, you know, over 90% of our food comes from plants, right? And so, you know, being able to harness these microbiomes or understand them sufficiently so that we can use microbes uh, for sustainable agriculture or, you know, something I'm really interested in is, is to try to restore soil carbon. Uh, you know, we really have a lot of knowledge uh, that we need to gain to be able to, to predictively harness microbes for some of these applications. Well, so what's the main trading that goes on? What do the microbes produce? For, you know, I know it depends on the plant, but in general, what, is the, what does the plant produce for the microbes? And the microbes, what are their main jobs, I guess, you know, fixing N2 to be in a usable form is one. What, what yeah, else? absolutely. Um, so th this is something we've been doing a lot of these experiments that we call exometabolite profiling experiments. And basically what we do here is we take, uh, we grow plants hydroponically 
and we collect the what's called the exudates, the metabolites that are being released from the roots. And then we take that mixture of metabolites and we grow uh, microbes in it. And then we use mass spectrometry to measure the changes in the media uh, with the colonization by microbes. And from this, we can determine what they like to eat and what they produce, right? So it's kind of like we've set up this buffet with all these different metabolites that are all you know, produced by the plant. And then we individually let the microbes go through the line and we see what they take. And we've, we've had some surprising results. Um, probably the most surprising one recently is that uh, some of the metabolites that we thought, um, these are like aromatic compounds that normally um, we wouldn't think of as, as something that microbes would, would take first from the buffet, are actually preferred substrates for the bacteria that become uh, really abundant in the rhizosphere. Um, and, and some of these same compounds, um, these uh, phenolic acids, um, are actually toxic to other bacteria. Um, so it gives us this view that maybe the plant is producing specific molecules that can uh, really give the microbes that the plant wants to select for a huge advantage over other competitors, which would make sense. Um, you know, obviously the plant's also releasing sugars and amino acids that, um, you know, basically all the microbes can use. Um, but sort of this new finding is that there's some sort of more specific compounds that may give the, the microbes that the plant, uh, that are most beneficial for the plant a competitive advantage. And then I guess your second part of the question was about what do all of the microbes do? You know, the ones that we've been really focused on are the ones that actually, uh, promote plant growth. And, and we've, we've been studying some microbes and mixtures of microbes that can um, double the size of a plant um, through you know, mostly unknown mechanisms, but uh, certainly uh, production of um, hormones is, is, a, is a part of that. I mean, the, um, in soil, the microbes are essentially the plant's uh, microbiome, that local microbiome for the roots, right? You're exactly right. It's it's like a gut turned inside out. <laughs> you know, you've got the soil on the outside, and then the tissues on the inside. Yeah. So what's um? So have you tried to do like uh, metagenomics to see what's around the roots, and then you know if you compare that to the same plant in different soils or different conditions, does the you know the microbiome change very much? Absolutely. Yeah. We've done we've done a, a fair bit of. Uh, metagenomics, both on plants and then on in these biocrusts. And we see uh, that the community changes dramatically as you get closer to the root. And um, this is, you know, in a large part due to the, these metabolites that the, the plant is releasing into the environment that the microbes right next to the root can benefit from. And the, we, we you know, we do these, uh, metabolite profiling experiments on plants over a number of different conditions. And then we also uh, use metagenomics to relate that to changes in the microbiome. And what we find is that depending on whether it's light or dark, or depending on the, the uh, nutrients, you know, how much nitrogen and phosphorus is present in the soil, the plant changes the profile of metabolites that it releases. And in turn, we see a big change in the microbiome. And, um, Again, uh, some really recent work is that we've found that some of these metabolites that we've found uh, are preferentially used by the 
beneficial microbes um, are more abundant when the plant is stressed. Um, so it gives us this view that maybe the plant is calling out for its buddies, right? It's producing things that um, will selectively benefit these microbes that can help the plant with, uh, you know, say, for example, nutrient stress. Um, so we think that's, you know, it really gives you a clear view on how you might be able to take this knowledge and use it to help uh, more sustainably grow plants for a variety of different reasons. You know, you could uh, select plants that make more of those metabolites, right? And uh, maybe this would select for better select for microbes that are going to promote the plant growth or promote um, mm -hmm. uh, growth under uh, nutrient limited uh, environments. Uh, so that's something I don't, I'm I don't really know if this, is a, if this is a mistake though, but I consider soil to be static. I don't you know, I'm picturing an earthworm moving through the through the soil. Obviously, that's macroscopically moving, but soil appears to be. I mean, I don't know if I'm right. A static medium. So, how do nutrients not deplete very quickly? There's. It seems like there has to be an active transporter of nutrients. Um, you know, I know the oxygen and the nitrogen can percolate through soil, but I, I just don't see how soil can be effective by being static. There must be some movement of it. Or yeah, waiting for things to move through it. Wow, and this is a whole whole world of research in soils. Yeah, it's super interesting. You know, you'll you'll never look at soil again after you start thinking deeply about it. Uh, it it has. You know, what you should say is, if you knew what I knew, you'd soil yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You go get. Yeah, exactly. Get out there and explore. You know, there, there's. Um, when you, if you if you ever go go dig in your soil, you'll see that it's not this homogeneous thing like sand. You've got all these different size clumps, which are called peds, and between them you have pores, just like in a, a circulatory system. You can think of them kind of like arteries, and then within each of those little clods or peds, you have little micro pores, kind of like capillaries. And so you do get circulation through, you know, preferential flow class through soils. And of course, all these different organisms like uh, earthworms are making new tunnels and uh, changing the structure continuously. So it's very, very dynamic. And you can imagine when it rains, now the water sort of flushes through the system and uh, brings in nutrients, um, say if it's an agricultural soil, Periodically, the, the farmer tills the soil and uh, puts in, hopefully, some new organic material. And so then microbes can start breaking that down. And so you get all of these variables, you know, the, the weather, rain, mixing of the soils, all the biological activity. So it's actually a really dynamic environment, especially in a fertile, you know, a fertile soil. It's going to be very, very dynamic process. And, you know, this is really an important system in terms of climate change, um, you know, when from all of the anthropogenic emissions, uh, about half of it goes in the atmosphere, the other half goes into the oceans and, you know, is accumulated in the oceans or in the soils. And much of our soils have been depleted in soil carbon um, through sort of our agricultural practices where we don't tend to put as much organics back on the soil as we remove. And so I think there's a huge opportunity to try to harness beneficial microbes and plants to sustainably restore soil carbon as a way of pulling uh, carbon out of the atmosphere and enriching these 
systems that we use for food production and production of you know bioenergy crops and stuff like that. And so it could be, you know, if we the more we learn about the system, the more we can really take advantage of it to address some of these huge challenges that we're facing. Well, I was thinking if you compared a plant in a hydroponic system to one in soil, especially if it was a well-mixed and hydroponic system, that the plant would be able to respond to different stimuli a lot faster because the bacteria in the water and you know everything is, is a lot more fluid. It's moving around more than in soil. And in soil, I don't know, I, I just have the sense that you have to depend on other factors to get things moved around. You know, maybe a plant sitting in the soil, the sunlight and the heat is a main driver of, of uh, things up and down in the soil column. I don't know. I just, yeah, I know what you mean. How things move, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, the hydroponic system, you know, if you, if you manage it just right, um, and you, you know, you need to be able to get oxygen and all the nutrients delivered to the plant. But if you could do that, yeah, it's a really nice system. Um, the soils, you know, they're, they kind of act as a reservoir of nutrients and water for the plant. Um, you know, that's why you don't have to water your garden every day, right? The soils will actually hold it for the, the plant. Um, but you're right, uh, trans, transport limitation can be an issue, which is one of the reasons why the plants really need the microbes. You know, there could be, hey, some phosphorus just a few millimeters away from the root and the plant needs a, mic, you know, needs a fungi to, to be able to go over there and reach it and sort of explore a bigger area than the plant can on its own. And in a hydroponic uh, cultivation system, you really don't need that because, you know, you've got, like you say, well-mixed system, you know, and so the, the plant can access those nutrients on its own. Mm, okay. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So what are you trying to understand again in, in regards to the, uh, you know, the interaction between the plant and the microbes? You said that, uh, you know, depending on stresses, the plant goes through, it changes what it uh, makes available to the microbes above and beyond the basics, you know, the sugars and amino acids. Um, I know there are particular soil stresses that you've identified or does it not tend to get stressed as much? It's more, again, more static. Like what, what can happen from the other end that would cause the plant to change? Yeah. The, the thing that I'm really interested in is trying to understand how microbes can be used to promote plant growth in marginal soils. So soil, you know, one of the, we've been losing productive soils like at a crazy rate and, you know, with population growth, and climate change, we're really going to have to quickly figure out how to bring those soils back into cultivation. So there's, you know, in terms of stresses, these are soils that don't have very much carbon, so they don't retain water very well. Uh, they don't have, um, you know, very much in the way of nitrogen and phosphorus. And so, so what do you do with these damaged lands? You know, how do you actually use them for, you know, production of things that we need to feed and provide for a growing population? And, um, so this, these are the soils that we've been studying and looking at plants that can grow in these low nutrient environments and how we can ideally breed crops that are better able to take advantage of microbes. And maybe you have to add those microbes when you, when you plant the seeds um, to be able to thrive in these environments. And long-term, I'd hope that these, you know, the goal would be that as these plants are growing, they're enriching the soil uh, in carbon and other nutrients so that uh, 
you're not only pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, but you're making these soils more fertile so they are more productive. So that's kind of the big vision. But there's so much we don't know to be able to do this. And um, one of the big things that my lab has been worked on, working on for the last several years has been uh, developing fabricated ecosystems. So we use 3D printing and microfabrication to make devices where we can study the mechanistic basis of beneficial plant microbe interactions within the laboratory. And then we collaborate with lots of other people who can do field studies and we can try to link the principles uh, that we find in the lab and the mechanisms we find in the lab to those in the field. So when, when soil gets depleted, is there an order in which things get depleted? Yeah, I mean, it's basically what's, whatever is, um, you know, the, the limiting reagent is going to be the one that's going to be, you know, it's just kind of like a chemical reaction or something, you know, if it's, if it's a low phosphorus soil, that's going to be limiting. Um, so everything's kind of has to be in the right balance. And, you know, another big problem out there is that, you know, we get all this runoff, right? Because the, you know, fertilizer runoffs that go and pollute our waters, because there is this huge imbalance, there's way too much uh, nitrogen or phosphorus compared to what the plant can use. And so, um, being able to to use microbes to capture this and make sure that it's available to the plant and make the whole process more efficient so we don't have to use so much fertilizer is another really important uh, area of research in, in studying plant microbiomes. How, how is fertilizer applied? Is it like sprayed on the surface or? Yeah, it generally sprayed on the surface and um, you know, the plant gets some of it. Um, some of it is retained in the soils, uh, but then the rest just kind of washes down through the soils and out into the rivers and lakes and you get these dead zones and it's just a you know really bad thing to to be applying so much excess uh, fertilizer um you know and and you know one reason why we have to apply so much fertilizer is because the soils aren't retaining it as well as as, as you know they would have traditionally when they had higher you know higher carbon content sort of the the you know, the mineral fertilizers will stick to the carbon in the soils um, and that will help retain it where the microbes in the plant can access it. So, you know, increasing the soil content has the potential to allow us to use less carbon and to keep it, I mean, to use less fertilizer and keep it right around the roots where it can benefit the plant. Well, if someone only cares about planting a field of, I don't know, let's say corn they would only care about the plants that they plant and the surrounding soil, maybe not as much. Why not? I don't know how, for instance, corn is planted. I don't know if they throw a seed in or if they throw like a, you know, a small plant in there, you know, like a sapling. Um, why not throw in like a ball of, you know, a little bead of fertilizer in each hole? Why not throw in like a, you know, a, a small amount of dirt that has plenty of carbon in it, like a source of it and a yeah. source of nitrogen, a little bit of fertilizer in each hole instead of spraying it on the surface, at least to start. Why not do that? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think that, the idea of, of, you know, basically providing the seeds that you're planting in the soil with the perfect situation for growth would be, you know, a great way to do it. Um, you know, I think I would say right in that little, uh, say, say we could come up with a seed coating, um, which provided the perfect habitat for that growing seedling, including the right microbes, the microbes that would, um, keep the pests away, they would provide, uh, help the plant deal with stresses, they would promote the growth of the plant, they would um, help the plant access um, nutrients that are locked away in the soil. 
Uh, we provide the metabolites for those microbes to eat so that they'd have a competitive advantage over the microbes in the soil. Uh, I think that's kind of the future. Uh, you know, the, the key driver here is economics. We, we have to figure out how to do it um, inexpensively enough that, you know, it would pay off for a farmer to do this. I think that's kind of what's limiting it right now is, you know, they can drive a big tractor through and spray their field and, you know, the economics work out, they get a big yield. Um, um, but, you know, there's environmental consequences to that in terms of the health of their soil and their waterways. And so longer term, going to these more, um, you know, more precision agriculture, I think is, is really important. You said that uh, soils can be depleted of carbon, but what form is the carbon in and how does it get depleted? Yeah, so it's um, what I'm talking about is organic carbon. And, you know, if you think about um, kind of the settling of, you know, here we are, really, I'm in the United States and, and I think about, you know, the, the bread basket and how the pioneers came in and they cleared, drained all these um, wetlands and had soil that is just almost black, right? From all the carbon that's in there. And that soil was so fertile that um, it was just incredibly productive and really didn't need to add much fertilizer, right? And um, the way that we grow crops, you know, most, most of our crops are grown is you go in and you cut off the plant and you send it to market, right? Uh, that's very different from a natural ecosystem where the plant dies and it falls back in the soil and it decomposes. And so that enriches the carbon pool. So since we're taking all of this stuff off, you know, taking the biomass off of the land each time we harvest, over time, you're just going to keep removing carbon from the soils as well as all the micronutrients and other things that make those foods really nutritious um, and help the plants grow too. And so over time, um, you deplete the, the soil carbon, and, and after a long enough period of time, those lands become you know, pretty low, low fertility, and then they need to be restored. And so you know, it's, it's said that about half of soil carbon has been lost, and uh, I see that as a huge opportunity, because if we could come up with uh, sustainable ways to restore soil carbon, we could be pulling it out of the atmosphere. And so the, the soil could be this you know, soil carbon restoration could be a, a really powerful and a beneficial carbon sink that we could be taking advantage of. But there's a lot more we need to know about uh, microbiomes before we'd be able to really, really do that efficiently. Well, for a given field, uh, I'm just speculating here, why not, um, you know, once you harvest, I don't know, let's say corn from a given field, why not try to turn the entire field into a giant compost and then waste you get, you know, organic waste from other crops or even from that crop, throw it back in the field and compost it until the next time you're ready to plant. So they yeah, have maintain a lot of carbon. That, that, uh, you know, I think that's what you should do. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I dabble in gardening myself and, and I can just see such a huge difference um, in the parts of my garden where I put a bunch of compost down and it has all the right microbes and, you know, the soil is super healthy Plants just grow like crazy in there, right? It just works great. Whereas um, parts of my garden where I just don't have that much organics, um, it just doesn't grow very well. And, and I have to put a lot of fertilizer on there, right? Um, I think it all comes back to the economics of it. You know, organic gardening is more expensive. And so that's why we pay more at the grocery store when the farmers are going through all of this composting and everything to sort of naturally uh, add organics back onto the soils. Um, but I, I think that um, 
there's a lot of benefits for us you know, in terms of sustainability. And, you know, I know, I know there are some studies on the nutritional content of, of uh, crops grown in uh, organic soils. I'm not very familiar with that, but I would hope that they would have more micronutrients and things like this, or at least I would expect that. So I think there's a lot of benefits. The key is the economics. And um, there are already companies selling beneficial microbial treatments that you basically go spray on your plants. And I think it's somewhere, it's a several billion dollar a year market. Um, and I think this is just the beginning um, because they generally don't really understand how those microbial uh, amendments are working. And so they don't necessarily know when they're gonna work, which type of soil, which kind of environment. And I think the more that we can understand these microbes and even start moving to where we're not just adding one microbe, but a whole community of microbes, we can get much more benefit this way, both in terms of um, the plant health and the plant growth promotion, but also in terms of the soil soil health. Well, maybe the key is for, you know, I don't know if you, you only have so much time, but if you're studying a plant and its metabolites, et cetera, while it's alive, why not also have another experiment going where, you know, you, you chop the plant up, throw it back into the soil, and now study the decomposition cycle, the rejuvenation of the soil, and look yeah. at the metabolites and the bacteria. And that's the other part of the picture that's missing probably, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I have been very fortunate to work on a project led by Mary Firestone at UC Berkeley, where she, it was called Cradle to Grave. <laughs> and so it was, it was studying plant growth all the way from, you know, the, the whole carbon cycle, all the way from the beginning, little teeny seedling, all the way to the decomposition of the, the plant. And you're right, if you could understand that whole process, you could predict uh, which microbes and which plant cultivar are going to best accumulate carbon within the soils, right? Because the you're right, and it's a whole different microbiome. The microbiome that's that's living off of the what the plant is exuding into the soil is different from the one that's decomposing the plant uh, biomass, the plant litter. Um, and, you know, there's scientists working on basically all aspects of this. Um, the, the, and, and, you know, the key is to kind of bring it all together uh, into sort of an integrated understanding and then work with uh, farmers and other stakeholders to transfer it into their hands where that could actually be applied. You know. Yeah, if you don't understand the decomposition cycle and you don't bother to have one, then of course you have to bring in stuff from the outside. Absolutely, and or, or and if, but what we've generally been doing, just as a you know, since the green revolution, is we just keep dumping more and more fertilizer on there, and I think that it's that's becoming expensive, and then it's causing all kinds of environmental problems. And so, being able to do less of that and depend more on really targeted amendments, including the microbes. I mean, there's, there are people out there that are, are, are testing the hypothesis that some of the really important microbes have been lost from the soils. And so even if you go plant your crop there in the soil, it's not gonna, it's not gonna thrive because its buddies are missing, right? Um, I don't know if that's, if that's been shown yet, but that's kind of a, a hypothesis that's out there. And so with the um, as, as soils get depleted, the diversity of organisms goes way down. And so I think it makes sense that a lot of the microbes that would normally be benefiting a plant are missing from those soils that aren't, that are so different from their natural environments. You know, if you think about corn, you know, 
corn was adapted from teosinte, and I don't know much about the ecology of um, teosinte, but I imagine it mixed, it grows like every other plant in a, you know, in a diverse community of plants. And um, the diverse community of plants is going to support a diversity of microbes, right? And then if you go from that to a monoculture of corn, where you're not enriching the soil with organics, then it makes sense to me that you would lose some of these microbes that corn needs to, to thrive, right? And so you'd have to supplement that with uh, fertilizer to make up for it. Are you also trying to create, um, you know, why not have in the, in the lab plants that have, um, you spike the soil with excess nitrogen and then see what happens to the microbiome and another one you do excess phosphorus, another one potassium and play with the levels, um, high, low, et cetera. Yes. See how so the plant and the microbiome respond to yeah. Exactly. So, so Kate Zalnina in my lab has been doing that, those kinds of experiments where she takes a marginal soil. So one that ideally, you know, the microbes would be enough to get these plants to, to grow, you know, very damaged soil. And then she working with uh, other uh, people at, at UC Berkeley um, adds in different fertilizers. And then we do metabolomics and metagenomics and we associate the changes in what the plant is releasing into the environment as far as these exudates to the changes in the microbial community. And then all of this in the context of the different fertilizer scenarios. And, and this is where I was, I was kind of telling you early that earlier that she's found these, uh, these you know, beautiful results that these aromatic metabolites that the plant releases to select what we, we uh, hypothesize are being released by the plant to select for beneficial microbes are much more abundant when the plant doesn't have any fertilizer. And as you start adding fertilizer, depending on whether it's phosphorus or nitrogen, the plant stops making these molecules. And so, because it probably doesn't need it, it doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't need its buddies as much. Um, and again, I think this kind of understanding could be used to breed new cultivars um, that produce these metabolites for use as a combination in marginal soils that are missing these nutrients. And I think that's uh, just a really exciting uh, opportunity for us to, you know, help advance sustainable agriculture. So what do you see as um, that you're going to be able to figure out, you think, in the, in the near term, in the next year or so, anything that's uh, getting close? Yeah, well, so we're doing experiments now with um, plant mutants um, where they've, uh, they're missing transporters for some of these uh, metabolites. And we'll be, able, we'll be able to use these to test um, the causal link between the production of these metabolites and the enrichment of these beneficial microbes within the rhizosphere. So that, that'll really, you know, that'll enable us to say, yep, absolutely, this metabolite um, that's secreted by the plant is selecting for its beneficial microbe. Here's the mechanism. Um, another thing that we're doing with these, these uh, fabricated ecosystems, which we call ecofabs, is we're able to image the microbes growing uh, on the root surface in the soil. And this is gonna provide us all kinds of insights into how these microbes are located within the root system. You know, we talked about this early on, you know, where are those microbes? And, you know, do different microbes colonize different parts of the roots? And how does that change over time as the root is developing? Because the root system is highly dynamic. And I think that's going to be really important to, uh, to understanding 
the role of these microbes and how they're benefiting, uh, benefiting the plant at different stages of the plant's growth. So I think those are some of the really big things that we're gonna be doing. Uh, we're also doing experiments where we're adding in some of these metabolites that um, struggle, we, we you know, hypothesize benefit the, uh, select for the beneficial microbes. And uh, early indications show that when we add those metabolites, um, the microbial community looks more like a rhizosphere community. So we take a soil community and we add this mixture of metabolites along with a soil extract and the community looks a lot more like a rhizosphere community. So we think this is gonna is really providing the insights into how you could tailor the mixture of metabolites that the plant is producing to select for uh, the community that you want. And, and I think that's something that could go together um, with these microbial amendments that, that companies are developing to be able to, I hate to use the word engineer, but sort of design custom microbiomes for a crop and a soil that are gonna uh, provide the most benefit under those environmental conditions. Well, so that good. won't be in a year. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. a longer term goal. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, Trent, what's the best way for people to get in touch and to find out more about your work? Uh, well, we, they can go to uh, northern, northernlab.org, not northern, but northernlab.org, or uh, just uh, Google me and you'll find my email, my phone number, and uh, let me know. I'd be very interested in talking about this. You can also check out the EcoFab website, which is eco-fab.org and read more about these uh, laboratory microbiomes that we're using and devices to uh, that we've created to study plant microbe interactions. Very good, Trent. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.